But what happens when you have one of the leading apologists, William Lane Craig, sit with Ben Shapiro, who is Jewish, and press him about Jesus for 12 minutes straight? Does Ben Shapiro, the non-Christian, in the slightest budge on Yahshua potentially being the Messiah? This is an interesting video, and it's an interesting social experiment. The field of the world religions to basically the great monotheistic faiths, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, or perhaps deism. The question as to which of these is true, I think stands or falls upon the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Who do you think Jesus of Nazareth was? Jesus claimed to be the decisive self-revelation of God. And mm -hmm. I believe that we have good reasons to believe that those claims were true and that therefore the God was. He's going in. William Lane Craig is going in right for the jugular. Jesus claims to be the Messiah, and we have good reasons to believe this to be true. If you claim to be the Messiah, you don't get a whole lot of options with him. Right? By Jesus of Nazareth exists. Okay, so let's let's get into that. Okay. Uh, so what are what are what is the proof that Jesus was who he says he is in in the Gospels? Well, first we need to establish who he thought he was. When you look at the religio historical context uh, of the life and ministry of Jesus. I think you can show that among the historically authentic words of Jesus were claims that he thought he was the Jewish Messiah, that he believed himself to be the Son of God in a unique sense that set him apart from Jewish kings and prophets, and finally that he thought that he was the Son of Man predicted by the prophet Daniel, to whom God would give all dominion, power, and authority. Jesus could not have been just a nice guy. Jesus could not have been just a good teacher. A good teacher and a nice guy does not see themselves as the Messiah, does not forgive sins, does not make the type of statements Jesus made. These are incoherent ideas. So people are like, oh, Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was a nice guy. Jesus was a good guy. You can't do that based on the things that Jesus said. We haven't even gotten to the resurrection. All right. So it's important. It's important to know that. Right. Before we go any further, guys, I got to show you something kind of crazy. Hey, you want to see something crazy? Over 51% of the people who watch this channel are not subscribed. And the ones that are subscribed, only 10% have their bell notification on. So do me a favor. Please hit that subscribe button. Turn the bell notification on so you don't miss anything we have going here. All right? I appreciate you. All right, getting back into this video. So he had this radical self-understanding of being Messiah, Son of God, and the Son of Man. And at the trial scene before the Sanhedrin in Mark 15, all three of these titles come to a head when the high priest asks him, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One, that is the Son of God? And Jesus says, I am. And then virtually quoting from Daniel, and you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven and seated at the right hand of the power. And at that point, the high priest rips his robes and says, you have heard the blasphemy. What more witnesses do we need? And Mark says they all condemned him. So either the Jews were right and Jesus was committing blasphemy or Jesus is the Messiah. It leaves someone like Ben in a peculiar situation because, well, a lot of Ben's audience is Christian. A lot of Christians are conservative. What, how is Ben going to navigate this conversation? Because he's in a coinky dink, right? As worthy of death. And that enabled them, since they didn't have the ability to carry out capital punishment, to deliver him over to the Roman authorities by slandering him as 
a pretender to be king of the Jews, and therefore mm. a, a political figure who could be tried for treason and sedition and crucified. So from the Jewish perspective, the, this, this narrative has some, some holes in sort of Jewish philosophy. Uh, the, the narrative begins with the idea that Jesus appears in front of the Sanhedrin and then claims to be the Messiah. Well, there's nothing actual criminally in, in any of the tractates that say that if you declare yourself the Messiah, this is actually right. a punishment, a punishable offense. Even right. that, there, there are many Jews, including Bar Kokhba, who have declared themselves messianic figures. The, the real gap here is that in the Gospels, Jesus' vision of him. So he's saying, well, claiming to be the Messiah isn't uh, punishable by death. Well, then claiming to be God is. Is it not? Can't be a good rabbi and claim to be God. I don't know how you navigate around that. As the Messiah is completely different from the prior vision of what the Jewish Messiah is and is actually outside the scope of how Jews describe the Messiah or really have ever described the Messiah. The Messiah in Judaism has always been a political figure who is destined to do certain things, restoring the kingdom of Israel, uh, re right. maintaining control of that kingdom, uh, bringing more Jews back to Israel. All of these things are considered sort of political things that the Messiah does. But the idea of the Messiah as embodiment of God is something that's foreign to Jewish religious mm -hmm. philosophy going all the way back to the beginning. So even... And this is the same struggle some of the Jews had when Jesus was on the earth. They were expecting a political military Messiah. Jesus comes as the lamb for the forgiveness of sins. And when he comes back as the lion is when you will see the new heaven and the new earth established. You'll see the kingdom established. You'll see the political rule of Jesus on, on, on earth, right? That is what the millennial reign will be. So, the, the Jewish folks here are just, the, the timeline is, is mixed up. They're expecting the second coming first, right? The idea that the Sanhedrin would be questioning him in those terms and would get from that, that what he means is, I am God, which would be a much more punishable offense, presumably that would be actual blasphemy. Yep. That, yep. That's, that's it's, it's an oddity. I think you're absolutely right in saying that Jesus' understanding of the Messiah was radically different from the prevailing um, cultural understanding of the Messiah among the chief priests and the common people. And he didn't meet their expectations. Indeed, that's what helped to get him crucified. Yep. Being the Messiah, you're right, in and of itself isn't a blasphemous claim. But to claim to be the Son of God in a unique uh, sense, and then especially no. the Son of Man prophesied by Daniel, sitting at the right hand of the power, that is truly blasphemous and is yep. sufficient for Correct. his condemnation. Now, the question, I think, is raised by your interpretation, question, ben. Yes. Yeah, your interpretation, mm -hmm. Ben, is this. Why should we believe Jesus? That is a great question. Guys, if you're enjoying this video, smash that like button. Let's try to get this thing up to a couple thousand views. That really does help us out a ton. When you hit the like button, YouTube will go, oh, there's something going on here. Push it out to more people. Please do me that solid. Reinterpretation of the Messiah rather than the one that the chief priests and the people held. And I think the answer to that is his resurrection from the dead. Aha! Like a good old classic apologist does, William Lane Craig points back to the resurrection. He points back to, he claimed these things, and guess what? He backed them up because he claimed these things, predicted his own death, rose from the grave. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is Yahweh's public and unequivocal vindication of the man whom the chief priest had rejected as a blasphemer. It is the divine demonstration that these allegedly blasphemous claims are in fact true, that he was who he claimed to be, uh, and that therefore I follow Jesus in his 
conception of what it means to be the Messiah. So when it comes to the resurrection, why is resurrection proof of divinity? So Lazarus is... is re- <laughs> what? Because <laughs> uh, he rose himself? Jesus rose Lazarus, but Lazarus didn't claim the things he did, nor did Lazarus raise himself. Right? That's why. Uh, that was why I wanted to emphasize the religio-historical context before we talked about the resurrection. A miracle taken in isolation. Ben, do you know anyone else that's rose someone from the rose themselves from the grave? I don't I I I don't think that happens every day. Is inherently ambiguous. The proper interpretation of a miracle is going to be given by the religio-historical context in which it occurs. And the resurrection of Jesus is not just the resurrection of any old body. It's the resurrection of the man who claimed to be Messiah, Son of God, and Son of Man, and, and who was crucified for those allegedly blasphemous claims. If God has raised this man from the dead, then he has, I think, unequivocally and publicly vindicated those allegedly blasphemous claims. So one of the counterclaims to some of this is that the Gospels are written significantly after Jesus lives. Even the earliest Gospel is written, what, 70 CE? Uh, somewhere, in, somewhere 40 years after. You saw this, the little scratch. I don't want to psychoanalyze his body language, but that's actually not After right. Jesus is crucified. So what's to say, I mean, that like most historical events. And put the AD on it. Don't, take, don't give us that CE nonsense, Ben Shapiro. 70. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. The temple in Jerusalem, which all Jews testify. So folks don't take a early, uh, folks don't take a later writing of the Gospels because this happened before the temple was destroyed. Okay, so the you know the little thing was was was, was pretty funny. Um, I think it's reasonable to say that the Gospels were written. Some would say as early as 50, 55, 60, and then there was other books like I believe First Corinthians was written about forty A.D. Um, so there's there's a wide spectrum here of when the books were written, but the Gospels were written later in the apostles' lives because they were like, oh, we probably should pass this on to the next generation. Right? There is some play in the joints here, so that this would be the historical argument against the exact veracity of of the oh. Gospel revelations. For well, example, I, now I think it's important to understand, Ben, that in order for a historical document to be reliable, it isn't required that it be in error. Contemporaneous, of course. So, of course. Um, what I would argue is that underlying the inference to the resurrection of Jesus are three great independently established facts, which are supported by the historical evidence, uh, and which surprisingly, I did my doctoral work on this in Germany, uh, are, are recognized as such by the majority of New Testament scholars today. This is important. Why is this important? Because when you have non-Christian scholars, non-Christian historians testifying to these three facts he's going to walk people through, right, it is going to be something that is important when these folks are saying, yeah, these three facts are true. Guys like Bert, Bart Ehrman, right, who's an agnostic atheist, is saying, yeah, these things are, are documented and true. Okay, so that means that the New Testament is reliable. Who studied the historical Jesus. And these facts would be that after his crucifixion um, uh, and, and burial by a member of the Sanhedrin named Joseph of Arimathea, that Jesus' tomb was discovered empty on the first day of the week by a group of his female followers. Oops. Tomb was empty. This is all agreed upon. Secondly would be that various individuals and groups of people then witnessed appearances of Jesus alive. And finally, number three would... There's never been a mass 
schizophrenic moment before, a mass, mass delusion moment where all people are seeing the same delusion or the same fictional image, right? That people could have personal delusions. People could have personal issues in terms of like they're seeing things or hearing voices, but no one has ever collectively, you know, 500 people, a dozen, a dozen to 500 people all being under the same delusion never happened. Before. That the original disciples suddenly and sincerely came to believe that God had raised Jesus from the dead, despite having every predisposition to the contrary. The vast majority of scholars have come to accept as convincing the evidence in support of those three facts, not assuming biblical inerrancy or inspiration, but treating right. the Gospels as ordinary historical right. documents. You can show, for example, that the fact of the discovery of the empty tomb is attested by at least six independent sources in the New Testament, some of which are extraordinarily early. No scholar denies that individuals and groups saw postmortem appearances of Jesus. The only question is whether you should or could dismiss them as hallucinatory. And again, nobody denies. So again, there's never been a mass hallucination thing. There's been mass deception. False religions are, are mass deception. But hallucination, mass hallucination, that's never happened before, of being hallucinated to see the same thing. I'm not talking about folks who took mushrooms and you saw clouds and you saw a turtle that looks like clouds and someone else saw. No, no, no. All seeing the same thing. Okay? That that has never happened before. Are you guys tracking? Anyone has done psychedelics, with, I haven't done them, but anyone who's done psychedelics, they can all see different hallucinations, but they're not seeing the same exact hallucination. Okay? That, 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 that doesn't happen. That's not a thing. The original disciples suddenly and sincerely came to believe that God had raised Jesus from the dead. You should or could dismiss them as hallucinatory. And again, nobody denies that the original disciples suddenly and sincerely came to believe that God had raised Jesus from the dead. So these three facts are pretty firmly established. And the only question is, then how do you best explain them? And down through history... The, <laughs> the best explanation is often the simplest one. Attempts have been made to explain these facts without recourse to the resurrection like the conspiracy theory, the apparent death theory, uh, mm -hmm. the hallucination theory, and so forth. And I would argue that none of these naturalistic theories meets the criteria for being the best historical explanation of the facts. None of them is as good an explanation as the one that the original disciples gave, that God raised Jesus from the dead. And the most that's obvious right, one. Then guys. I think we have good grounds, indeed, are almost compelled to revise our typical understanding of who the Messiah was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So we can have the historical. Then we have, see, see how you did that? Then we have good grounds for the Jew and the Gentile to revise who is the Messiah. Not with your Jewish philosophy and preconceived notion, but based on who actually rose from the grave. We've been back and forth, obviously, and I think that there are arguments that you can make. I think there are arguments that I can make, but I honestly yes. find them relatively uninteresting is the truth. Um, simply because I'm not... I find them uninteresting. I mean, so we can have the historical argument back and forth, obviously, and I think that there are arguments that you can make. I think there are arguments that I can make, but I, I honestly yes. find them relatively uninteresting. Is the he finds them uninteresting. Ben Shapiro L. No desire to engage in the actual arguments. He just says, ah, I just find them uninteresting. <laughs> um, simply because I'm not sure that we're going to come to any sort of consensus on them. No. You know, on the on the historical argument, for example, I think it's fairly 
easy to claim. There's, there's a sect of Judaism right now uh, in which there's a sub, small subsection of people who believe that the Lubavitcher Rebbe is still alive. Right? The Lubavitcher Rebbe uh-huh. passed away in the, in the 1990s. Yes, yes. And there's still people who, who treat him as though he is not dead. Uh, they, they call him the Messiah. They think that yes. he was the political Messiah. Uh, they have, and, and they still do that 20 years after his death. He didn't rise from the grave, Ben. You know, that's not proof to me that he is actually alive. Some of them claim Nor to have experienced it. Right. So, uh, you know, especially when you're talking about events 2,000 years ago, yeah. uh, if people write that down, I think there's sufficient. I thought this man's tomb is empty. I mean, ha! I haven't dug him up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I wouldn't know. But uh, the, yeah. the claims, if somebody claims 2,000 years from now that his tomb was empty or claims 70 years from now that his tomb was empty, then. Yeah, that's that an important difference, Ben. The important time gap is not the gap between the events and the present. Um, good evidence doesn't become bad evidence just because of the lapse of time. The critical event, as you just said, is the time gap between the events and the recording of those Correct. events. And in the case of the events of the life of Jesus and his resurrection, that time gap is extraordinarily narrow. We can push back even before the writing of the Gospels and the That's epistles right. of Paul by discerning the traditions upon which they relied when they wrote. And mm-hmm. some of these go back to within, it's estimated, five years after Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, I'm thinking of the ones that Paul transmits in to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15. He's saying this creed that Paul is writing is within five years of when Jesus resurrected. We're on pretty good ground there in terms of the earliness and the multiplicity of our sources for the life of Jesus. So let's talk for a second about sort of the... 1 Corinthians 15. So again, this is what he was referencing that says it goes back to within years, five years, of Jesus's resurrection. Paul didn't... Paul is reciting back what was passed on to him. He says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. But what scripture? It's about the Old Testament scriptures, right? He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. So the, 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 the argument is very simple. This goes back to a very short time within Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven, and that if he was stating this or reciting this of these 500 that he appeared before, many of them would still be around. And remember, we go to Acts. This is Acts chapter 1. Check this out. Um, Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. You guys catch this? Jesus appeared to the apostles over a course of 40 days from time to time and at one point appeared to over 500 at one time. Now, again, if you can see that the New Testament is reliable, which I believe it is, and I think anybody who's reasonable would say it is, that makes a very strong and compelling case and a solid reason for us as followers of Jesus to believe that he bodily rose from the grave. I think that's a huge W. So um, what do you guys think? I I think, uh, you know, Ben Shapiro is, in my opinion, closed off. And he talked about it because 
he needed to talk about it. This is William Clay, Craig's whole shtick, like not shtick, but this is what he's known for. He's an expert in this regard. Um, but I don't know if he was really willing to go and explore and 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 and, and dive deep into these facts that all uh, biblical scholars and uh, folks that are into textual criticism all agree on. You know what I mean? So anyway, those are my thoughts on that. Let me know what you got. Hey guys, if you enjoyed today's stream, please hit that like button and consider partnering with us for as little as $5 a month. Why? Because when you partner with us, it helps us out a ton by making better content, by improving our production quality, and ultimately, it keeps us independent. Less than 1% of the people who watch this channel, which is a lot of people, partner with us. If we can get 1% of you guys, that's the goal, to partner with us, it literally change everything. You'll see the production quality improve. You'll see the guest improve. You'll see everything increase. And so consider partnering with us for only $5 a month so that we can stay independent answering only to you, and ultimately never having to take a brand deal and make commercials like this one. Our friends at GenuCell Skincare have exciting news to celebrate in 2023. Using Manscaped during my showers after workout has given me much more confidence. And that's where mud water comes in. True Classic has got your back. All thanks to the sponsor of today's video, SayMine.com. Established titles is your opportunity to earn the title of Laird or Lady. Object credit approval rates range from 7.99% APR to 19.99% APR, included 0.50% auto pay discount. If you don't want us to make ads with brands you don't care about, sign up for our online community for as little as five dollars a month to keep us independent and ultimately answering to you as our boss you get all sorts of benefits like daily replays of our after party streams exclusive access to our discord community and early access to our podcast interviews all starting for only five dollars a month